Blog Talk Radio. Advocacy 
and support services to families of missing children provide information and prevention education to the public regarding missing children and runaways. Since 1983, Missing Children Minnesota has helped more than 3,500 families and children throughout the Midwest by providing 24-hour advocacy and support services, as well as helping families at risk for abduction create individualized prevention plans. In addition to search assistance, they also provide four critically acclaimed educational programs to children and adults throughout Minnesota and across the country. And I can't wait to hear more about that. That's exciting to hear. I love that. Every year, MCM prevents abduction, prevention, and personal safety programs to schools, daycare centers, early childhood and family education groups, churches, and children's vacation camps. The hope is that by providing children with the information that they need to be safer this year, there will be fewer missing children next year. Teresa is the mother of two grown children and wife of 35 years to her husband, Rocky. She volunteers with the Eden Prairie Community Emergency Response Team and has served on its advisory council. So we want to just welcome Teresa. Thank you so much for being here. Are you on the line? I am. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank yes, you thank for you being so here. For joining Go ahead. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Teresa, for joining us. We really appreciate you coming out tonight um, and just sharing your story, sharing your testimony and encouraging so many people. We just wanted to, you know, get a little history as to how you got involved in this area of advocacy and what prompted you to to do this type of work. This is very special type of work. You're working, it looks like you're focusing on missing children. And that's a very, I don't know if, you know, that's the main part of your ministry of your advocacy work, but if you can just shed some light and let us know how you even got started in this type of service. Thank you very much. Yeah, it, it was a long and windy road to get here. Um, the very first thing I'd want to say is that there were have been situations in my life where, if not for the helpers, I would not probably have navigated life um, in any way that, you know, was positive. You know, it, it was really the helpers. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I feel like, you know, of course, a lot of it is, is your own effort and your own um, your own work, but those helpers along the way that kind of just give you that little bit of whatever it is that you need at that moment that you need it. Um, mm-hmm. I really came to value the power in that and to start to look even at a fairly young age to start to look for the, those opportunities for myself. Um, where I could be the helper. Um, I was also raised in a highly uh, Christian household, and um, I was exposed to a lot of other um, spiritual paths and spiritual um, insights with uh, the friend groups that I encountered. And so I had that support as well 
you know, the, Mm -hmm. the idea, that spiritual idea of, you know, that we are here to be each other's helpers and Mm -hmm. um, the focus on the missing, probably the thing that engaged me was my, one of my grade school teacher's sons went missing when I was a grade school student. Um, Her son Mm -hmm. uh, went missing and was found a year later and he had been uh, murdered by his best friend in a dispute, in an argument. And he had been out there in the woods for a whole year. And I remember watching her, you know, as she ministered to us as a teacher, you know, a teacher has to be, especially a grade school teacher has to be so nurturing and so kind and so tuned into the students. And she gave so much of herself to that. And I, it's like, I could see her heart, you know, in a way. And one of the things that struck me was how much mean talk there was around that whole thing. You know, people, the kids in my grade repeating things that their parents had said at home about her son or about her or about their family or, you know, that somehow making it sound like they deserved what happened to them or that they had caused what happened to them. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking how unfair that was and just like, what could, you know, I, I thought somebody should be able to do something about this. And forward a couple of decades and I was in a play for the Minnesota Fringe Festival um, that a friend had written and our stage manager was the executive director of Missing Children Minnesota, Carol Watson, the, the original, the founding executive director. And she just sort of pulled me right in and said, let's, let's get you to work. And she started, you know, giving me jobs to do, tasks to do. I joined the board. Um, I became the secretary of the board. And then she said, would you be my successor? I'd like to train you to be my successor. And mm. it just seemed right. Um, it just seemed right. And so I did. And here I am. Wow. Well, first of all, uh, that story of your teacher's son, that's, that's still kind of stuck in my, in my heart, you know, as a parent. Um, and just as a human being, you know, um, there are so many missing children. And unfortunately, many times they're not found safe. And so... You know, very sad that 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 was the outcome of her son. Was he a teenager or was he young? Was his age? Yes, he was. He was a teenager. He was, I believe, he was sixteen, maybe seventeen. He was an older teenager. Um, And the the thing about that, and I didn't even know, even then, how tragic it was because it was twenty five years later. I was reading. Uh, I was reading an old newspaper article, and while I was doing that, um, I came across this weird little ty- weird little headline, and it was um, about Miss, you know, my my teacher, and it, but her son, part of her son's skull, had been found in the garage in a box of a medical examiner of the Hennepin, former Hennepin County medical examiner after his death. Uh-huh. And so 
she had to disinter her son and reinter him uh, with this piece of him that had been found later. And I think that's so emblematic in a lot of ways of how our traumas in our lives, you know, how they progress. They, you know, we think we've put everything to rest and we think we've, you know, we're like, okay, I've done all, I've done all this work and I'm in a good spot and I'm going to go on. And then, you know, we encounter something else that causes us to need to unpack that trauma again and reprocess Mm -hmm. it and repack it back up. And I think sometimes we're not as well prepared as we would like for that. Um, And that that is what I was thinking when I, when I read that, I was just like, Oh, isn't that just the way it goes with trauma? Right. Yeah. Triggers. Um, Definitely. Wow. You hit, you hit it right, right on. Um, So now they found the skull, they found her son's skull in somebody's garage. Is that how they found the body? No, they they found him. He was found Mm -hmm. one year after he went missing. Um, He was in the woods. Uh, He was found by a hunter. And um, it was at that point that they were able to uh, ascertain that it was his uh, best friend's firearm that had killed him. And apparently Mm -hmm. they had argued over a borrowed firearm that was not returned didn't really um, get the whole story on that, but that was what the newspaper said. And uh, so his friend had shot him and, um, and left him there. Um, So, but then 25 years later was when they found the, the additional remains that had been kept by the medical examiner. We don't know why. Yeah, that is very, very tragic as a parent. Um, for the for that parent and thinking about to have to re-experience that and reopen that cage, maybe when she had the funeral, she thought there was closure, everything was done, and then they found more to to the story, and she had to like kind of revisit that place uh, for the family. That must have been very difficult. Right now, um, did he serve? Uh huh. Were you going to say? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if he served. What time he served? I never did find oh. out what his sentence was. But uh, he was. He was convicted. I know that, and he was sentenced for his crime. So. Yeah, good. I'm. I'm glad. And so when you. So now this was somebody that you respected and you loved. You respected and you admired. This was your teacher. And so, I mean, knowing somebody that close to you, even though I don't know if you knew the person who was missing, but just knowing that that was her child, um, what did that do to you? Like, is that what prompted you, or did you keep hearing other stories like this, and it just kept on growing in your heart area of service? Like, what what drew you into that area after this? There was a – oh, I'm sorry. I should have let you finish. Um, there was a lot of that, actually. Um, you know, I was a child of the late 60s, early 70s. When I was uh, formative years, I was born in 67. So um, there was a, there were a lot of young people who would run. Uh, there were a lot of young people who would just disappear sometimes for months on end. Mm. It was something that <clears throat> was very common back then. And, and, in fact, my uncle, who was only, I believe, 12 years older than me, um, got into the 
habit of if he just if he didn't like what was going on at home and say there were too many rules or too much of this or too much of that or he just heard about something really great he wanted to be part of he would just up and disappear and um go you know across the country go to california go to montana go to texas go to florida wherever he wanted to go and then um and then he'd show up again a few months later and my grandparents were always you know extremely worried about him um I, you know, I remember the pain that they went through, the worry, um, and just there were a lot of stories like that. You know, I had friends who ran away um, for a variety of reasons. I had um, just, you know, kind of, and, and just seeing how there was this chaos around it, like there was almost like there was nothing anyone could do or nothing anyone would do for being missing. You know, mm-hmm. they would, uh, uh, they'd take a report and that would be pretty much it. Um, there wouldn't, there wasn't really anything done. There wasn't really any awareness about, you know, unless the child was very, very young, they didn't really do much. And I remember thinking, you know, this is just the way we just have to accept this. We just have to accept that, you know, these families are suffering in their own little areas, you know, their own little world, their own little world of hurt, their own little world of pain. And this is really the best we can do. Even as a kid, I thought this is the best we can do. Um, Somebody doing something. And then I guess I was, judgmental enough that the powers that be decided that they were going to put it in my path to be one of the people to do something. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, and to be honest with you, such that's like, uh, that work is so needed. You said something earlier that really stuck with me because it's true. Back in the days, in the 70s and the 80s, hitchhiking was very common. And um, a lot of People and this still in the 80s, 90s, people would get a ride, you know, and these things were normal. You'd be like, okay, can I get a ride? Yeah, I'm go- I mean, me and my friends used to do it. I know people who have gotten rides, and and nothing happened, you know what I mean? So then, I mean, at, at some point, sometimes people really, I don't, I don't know if people still do that today. I think today people have a different awareness as you know we're a more educated nation. And uh, we have so much access to social media and information, right? That right. We see that this, these stories of missing people pretty much happen every day. So we have a different understanding. Back in the days, I didn't really hear these stories, and I wasn't really aware. It was just like, da-da-da, i got to get to work. All right, you're taking a ride. Right, you seem nice. You give me a ride. We've done that a couple of times, me and close friends of mine. So we've talked about it today as adults. Like, I cannot believe we did that, you know. Uh, and luckily, thank God, nothing happened during those times. But, um, you know, today we have, we have, um, uh, like I said, access to social media. We have cameras everywhere, um, phones. People are videotaping and uh, house cameras. Like, I have cameras my front and back part of my house. And so, you know, anything moves, 
I get an alert, even if it's like a lead blowing by, right? Uh, we have right. DNA. Uh, and so times have changed, and thank God that it has changed because we, we have access to more uh, information. So um, you did say something very important. I mean, back in the days, people just didn't know. You know, they didn't know how to get this information out, how to get the right help. Um, and so people just happened, they just were missing, and that was just pretty much it. You're right. We yeah. have um, a couple of people on the line. Maybe a little early. I don't know if anybody has any questions or comments. Ms. Kim, did you want to say anything? I know um, she was taking um, a few calls from the back. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we do. We have a couple other people. I know that um, Victoria has her hand up, too, so maybe she has a question to ask. But um, I guess, okay. and it may be a little bit early for this question as well, but um, when I was reading your bio, I noticed, you know, when I was reading about the, you know, helping the kids understand, do you also help the parents understand Mm. How to keep the kids safe from that? I mean, do you have those types of services available, first off? Yes. Okay, yes, we do. <laughs> that is one of our programs. Is And, and actually, it's our most popular program. Uh, we yeah. have gone by two different names. Uh, the, 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 one we're, the name we're using now is Beyond Stranger Danger. <clears throat> mm. uh, originally, okay. it's called yeah. Awareness Plus. We used yeah. to call it Awareness Plus. And what happened was, um, as we, you know, we would, places would call us and they'd say, hey, do you have a program? We'd say, yes, we have an awareness, uh, a program. It's called Awareness Plus. And then um, we would get get to the uh, event and they would say, yeah, and here's Miss Carol Watson, you know, my predecessor's name, or this is Miss Teresa Latka, and they're here to present Stranger Danger. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> and then we would cringe. we would cringe and and groan yeah. and try really hard not to be rude um, with our facial expressions and uh, and we would get up and carefully explain that stranger danger is not the best model um, it never has been and. Um, so yeah. we, we decided that we would just lean into it a little and go with beyond the stranger danger. We're going to, okay, you know, that's, that's where we were. Now we're moving beyond it. We're moving past it. Uh, but we did want to give yeah. like a little nod to it. Uh, we start out that talk with five reasons why um, talking about strangers to your children will not, will not make them safer. Yeah. Um, and yeah. if you don't mind me going into them, I could go into them. I suspect that no, almost I everyone on the everyone everyone probably already knows that's uh, that's here because we have some savvy people. Um, but the number one reason why talking to your kids about strangers will not keep them safe is because um, the largest number of numbers of cases of people who harm children who take children. Excuse me, or who harm children uh, are is you know people that the children know. Mm-hmm. They're uh, like ninety percent. Yeah, it's yep. Family, <laughs> close family friends, uh, people who are in the child's life uh, as authority figures, people who are in the community, people who are in the neighborhood. So um, I believe it's 
um, like when it, when you're talking about abduction, you think about the stranger abduction, right? Where the the stereotypic we call it the stereotypic stranger abduction, right? The guy jumps from behind the bushes, grabs the kid, shoves the kid in a windowless van, and takes off, right? Or something along that line. There's roughly 100 to 120 of those cases nationwide every year, which is 100 to 120 too many. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that, that is an appalling statistic, honestly, that that, that happens to that many children uh, in our country. But when it comes to um, abductions, the most common form of abduction is abduction by a non-custodial family member, commonly a non-custodial parent. And when you're talking about that, you're talking about 250,000 cases per year across the United States. Um, wow. And then uh, the next biggest group is the acquaintance. So this would be the, the guy who does, who does the grocery bagging at the grocery store or the soccer coach or um, the next door neighbor or the scout leader. Uh, there's about 59,000 abductions by people who fit that description per year across the nation. Just opportunity. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, we know that, you know, it, you don't have to abduct a child to hurt the child. and But those statistics are pretty much in line. I, I don't think the numbers are the same, but the proportions are most likely the same. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, the most common form of missing child is uh, runaway or um, runaway or forced out. So uh, children who feel like they are forced out of their home because of their um, member in a, you know, for, for instance, membership in a sexual minority or um, because of some something that their family has identified that makes them unacceptable to the family, they're forced out or that they run away um, on their, you know, by their own choice, they run run away, um, and that's about one to one and a half million, or yeah, one to one and a half million. Um, I think the latest one they had eight hundred thousand. So I think that number is kind of going down a little bit, but um, a lot, yeah. a lot of young people who feel like they can't be in their home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, these and those are the ones you know about. about. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones we know about, yes. Uh, those are the um, statistics from, there's a national incident study that's done, I believe, every 10 years, is it every five years. It's called the NISMART study. And they do uh, law, they use law enforcement numbers, and then they also do a uh, telephone poll that where they call. Um, just call random households and do a survey um, to make sure that they are getting um, some, at least some of the cases that are not caught by law enforcement statistics. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, the, well, those statistics are just crazy. <laughs> so, Teresa, are you familiar uh, with Darkness to Light, Teresa Children? Hi. I have heard I've heard of it. I'm not real familiar, I wouldn't say. Okay. Because I know that they have I'm an instructor and a facilitator with them and I know that 
we've talked about beyond stranger danger before. Um, that's come up. And so I, and, and that's kind of how I was, you know, how I got to that question when I was asking you is because we believe that it is the adult's responsibility and that adults were not being educated enough on how to protect your children from child sexual abuse. And so that's kind of the right. same thing that I'm thinking with you. You know, you've got to have that aspect of the adults in on it as well, or it's really right. going to have a very good effect. Yep. <laughs> you need to have the caring yep. adults. That, that, that is something that we lead with both when we educate the adults and when we educate the children. Um, when we speak to the young people, we say, you know, it's it's the adult's job to protect the child. You know, it's the adult's do- job to protect the young people. Um, we can give you uh, information and, and teach you skills and give you um, all of this, you know, this program to help make you safer and to give you that power. We want to give you as, you know, make sure that you have all of the power that is accessible to you to stay safer. But we want to make it clear that while we're trying to help you access that power, we are not putting responsibility on you. We want to put power in your hands, not responsibility on your head. So the responsibility still lies with the adults, no matter how much power you gain, no matter how many skills you have, no matter how much information you have, that's to empower you. That is not to make you responsible for your own safety. Um, It's still the adult's responsibility. And part of that is because we want to encourage them to have that communication and that partnership with their adults in their own safety and you can't have that partnership without that acknowledgement you know yeah that yes my it's my or they need to know where i'm going to be there it's not them just getting in my business it is their business because it's their responsibility and because it's their responsibility it's their business to know where i am who i'm with what i'm doing um big choices that i have to make yeah, it is my parents' business. It's my life, but my life is their business until I turn 18. And um, yeah. and so, yeah, we do try to communicate that both to the adults and to the young people as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's good to, yeah, good good to know. Information. <laughs> my education is Now, you key. said the Ms. Did you say the Ms. Mark? Is that the name of it? Ms. Mark yep. Study? Yeah, okay. the National okay, National Incident, uh, and now I don't remember the rest of the acronym, but it's S-M-A-R. Oh, okay. Yep. I believe the last okay. one was in, I want to say 2013, but, yeah, they do it where, and so they, they study, like, I think it's the Department of Justice that funds it, and they study the trends on, you know, how children go missing, um, what kinds of cases arise. Another interesting statistic from that, and it's kind of germane to now because um, there's a lot of people who make, a, who make, um, who raise a great alarm about the number of children who go missing every year. You know, those statistics that I gave you, you hear them quote anything from um, 800,000 to one and a half million children reported missing every year. And then they'll go, none of those children are ever found. 
Um, so it's nice to put those statistics in perspective because we obviously one children who goes one child who goes unfound is too many. Uh, it's tragic and it's horrible, and we should do everything we can to stop it. However, um, we can't solve a problem until we understand the problem. And having people um, mistake the scope by misrepresenting or misunderstanding the statistics doesn't provide clarity. So um, for a roughly 43 to 48% of all of ch the children in every category who are reported as missing are found. And when they are found, they are found to be missing for benign reasons, such as they did not yeah. communicate they were going to a friend's house, or they told their dad that they were going to go to grandma's, but, they didn't but dad didn't pass it on to mom. And then dad went on a business trip or what those so miscommunications or they, you know, they were going to go from this, from point A to point B, but they got lost and spent some time at point C. And so they were overdue and they were reported missing and they, you know, had to get their GPS figured out and then they show up and, oh, okay, you're okay. So about 48% of those children are found to be missing for benign reasons. And about 94 to 96% of children who are reported missing to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children every year are found, um, are located. So we, well, you know, as a, as a nation, as a society, we've made huge strides in, you know, how we treat, um, in particular, missing children. Now, missing adults are another matter. Um, missing um, black and indigenous women, uh, women of color, uh, that is something that we really need uh, a lot of work on. I have a good friend of mine in, in North Dakota, Lisa Yellowbird Chase. She and I have uh, gone out on a number of searches together um, for uh, missing indigenous relatives and um, mm -hmm. You know, so that she, she's really pushing that forward a lot and driving that a lot. So I do believe that, you know, within the next decade, we are going to make tremendous strides in bringing parity to all of the missing because every single person who's missing deserves to be looked for. They deserve to be found. Yes. Their families deserve answers and they deserve to have their place restored and their name restored to them and to have their place restored, um, you know, to have that, you know, what, whatever, whatever uh, the prayers or whatever the rituals or whatever the um, traditions of their family applied to them and the, their um, place within their family, uh, Living or deceased, we all have a place. And even mm -hmm. if somebody is living and deceased, they deserve to be in the place that is there for them. And we we won't stop looking. Um, and that that's I think uh, my friend Lissa calls it a sacred ceremony. And when she first said it, I thought, oh, that's nice that's a nice thought and then I thought about it. the more I thought about it I realized it is it is a sacred ceremony because it's taking something that's wrong 
and applying energy and thought and intention and effort to making it right and um, mm-hmm. restoring a balance and restoring something to its proper um, its proper state. So, like, yeah, it is a ceremony <laughs> that we're called to. Right. So we do have um, Ms. Victoria. Well, we have a couple of people. So I know Ms. Victoria was waiting for a little while there. So um, yeah. are you, could you hear us, Victoria? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I want to thank yeah. uh, Teresa for coming on. I had uh, given, given her a call kind of last minute today, and uh, she's graciously uh, um, agreed to come on the show. So I just, I just want to say a special thanks on that. And then um, um, I've been involved with uh, Teresa as far as she's she's helped me out with a couple projects. And um, I'm I'm I know that you go into schools in the community and stuff. And um, I'm interested in uh, I really want to you know spend a lot of time on finding out you know how you get how you you know started going into this into the community because um, we have a lot of opposition on talking about child abuse in the community. And then also um, what, what the programs are, because I know we have different age levels and you talked about the parent one, but you got some great information for the children and and books and all kinds of stuff that we really need to get that information out there. So I'm just going to listen and thank you again for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Victoria, for censoring me. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. I, uh, no, I, I, I do have a special place in my heart for the one for the little ones. And the program is called Run, Yell, and Tell. And the um, program was originally created by my predecessor, Carol Watson. Um, I believe she was the first person in the country to use puppets to speak to small children. I know that there's a couple of um, other programs now that use puppets. Um, But the run, yell, and tell, the kernel of it is to to get the children to engage in um, behaviors that recognize, help them recognize the situation that should trigger a protective response. And then to have that protective response be something very simple, very direct, that brings the adult into the situation. Because as we discussed, the child safety is an adult responsibility. So we have three simple rules that we use the puppets, uh, Rosie the rabbit and Elvis the elephant. Um, Carol's uh, Elvis the elephant accent is way better than mine. I do a terrible Elvis but the um, preschoolers don't seem to mind. Um, And with Rosie and Elvis, we have a conversation with the young people about uh, three simple rules. Uh, The first one is, if someone wants to give you something, you're to say, I have to ask first, run to the person who's taking care of you. And the purpose of that Mm -hmm. is, you know, of course the lures, uh, the, the lure of, you know, the stereotypic lure of candy or the stereotypic lure of a gift. Um, or even if somebody's not trying to abduct the child, what's one of the first things that people do with grooming is that they offer gifts, right? They start giving, they give things to the, to the young person. They um, kind of shower them with, you know, attention, love, affection, yes, but 
often start with gifts. So we want to make sure that anything that's given to the child, there's, an, a, there's a trusted adult that's involved and that they know what's happening and that they um, are monitoring that. So if anyone wants to give you something. And then the second rule is almost exactly the same. If somebody wants you to go somewhere with them, you say, I have to ask first, run to the person who's taking care of you and ask if it's okay. Um, and the third rule, of course, is about touch. And one of the things that we found very early on with this program, and I, when I say we, I mean Carol Watson, my predecessor, what she found very early on was that there were places where there wasn't a lot of, um, there was resistance to entry into some places uh, if you became too explicit. So in the adult program, we always encourage the adults to use the proper names for body parts to be precise in talking about body parts and to teach children the correct words for things and to not be shy about using them. Um, however, when we do the puppet show, we usually refer to uh, the swimsuit area. You know, um, nobody's supposed to touch you in your swimsuit area, ask you to touch them in their swimsuit area, ask you to touch another child in their swimsuit area or take pictures of anything covered by your swimsuit. Um, and then, of course, the second part of that rule three is all touch has to be okay with both people, no matter where mm -hmm. on your body it is. If you don't want somebody to touch your hair, it's okay to say no thank you. If you don't want somebody to hug you because they hug too tight or whatever, it does, you don't even have to have a reason. No thank you. I don't feel like having a hug right now. Um, Elvis the elephant tells a story about how his grandmother hugged him so hard he felt like he couldn't breathe and it scared him. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want his grandma to hug him, so the next time he asked if it was okay if they just shook hands. And, of course, grandma was okay with that. And, of course, the parents' education part of that is letting the parents know, we're teaching your children <laughs> that they can say no to touch, and we need you to back them up. They need you to back them up. Um, you need to be behind this because, yeah, they need to know that their body is theirs and that if they, if something doesn't feel right to them, they can say no thank you. Um, you know, we still have, there's still politeness. You know, we don't teach them like if the little old lady next door offers them a cookie, we don't teach them to kick her in the shins, scream no, and run screaming stranger danger back into the house. That's not pro-social. But no, nobody's no nice neighbor lady with cookies is going to be offended if they say, I have to ask first and then run and ask their adult for permission. So, you know, we do try to also set things up so that we're not asking the children to do anything that violates social norms as well, um, egregiously. Uh, we do teach people, teach the young people that it is okay to violate social norms, uh, to say no loudly to make a scene, to yell and scream and kick if someone does not respect those boundaries. Uh, but in the first asserting of the boundaries, we give them nice models that are uh, pro-social. But yeah, and we do we do teach that it is very much up to uh, fight if somebody tries to push past those boundaries and tries to um, ignore those boundaries and you know, doesn't, doesn't respect uh, you, you when you say no. Yeah, it's okay, to, 
it's okay to get a little rude then or even a little violent if you have to to make them stop and get away. So, um, yeah. And for those middle schoolers we have, go ahead. No, go ahead. For the middle schoolers, I was just going to ask about the yell, but I can wait a little bit. For the middle schoolers, what do you have? (laughs) The middle schoolers thing just builds on the run, yell, tell. You know, it it mm-hmm. says, okay, you know, run, yell, tell is for young people where you expect the children to be um, near an adult, a trusted adult. Um, if if the child if a child in the preschool first kindergarten first second grade isn't within shouting distance of a trusted adult who's paying attention and who understands that it's their job to take care of them, that's that's a whole other issue. Um, and we don't really have a training program for that because that's not something that should happen. Um, but we do, um, for the uh, older children, grades three through six, you know, you start to see kids walking to school. You start to see kids um, going to the park with a couple of friends, like going to the skate park, um, going to play basketball, going to play tennis, um, that sort of thing walking to a friend's house alone. And so we have to expand uh, to, you know, talking about the traits of a safer person. You know, safer people, mm-hmm. um, their adults know where they're going to be, who they're going to be with. Um, you know, all of that, that long list of things that adults need to know and then are responsible to update them when the plans change. You know, if the plans change, you need to touch, check back in with your adults. So we add that check system. So check in frequently with your trusted adults. Um, if something doesn't seem right, if you get an uh-oh feeling in your tummy, or you look at something happens and you look at it and you go, that's weird. Well, I don't know what's going on. Or you get kind of that creepy, tingly sensation on the back of your neck. Whatever your physical sign is that where your brain's trying to tell you something's not quite right here, we want you to check it out with your trusted adult. You know, hey, mom, I'm on the bus. Call your mom. Hey, mom, I'm on the bus. There's a guy that's taken the last same two transfers as me. Um, he hasn't said anything to me, but I don't know what's going on. What do I do, right? Um, if it doesn't seem quite right and you don't know what to do, check it out with your trusted adults. And the third check is check up on your friends. And this doesn't mean getting into their business or being nosy or snoopy. This just means, like, if your friend suddenly doesn't seem like themselves or it seems like there's something not quite right with them, you know, just ask them, how are you doing? You know, what's going on? You seem stressed. You seem scared. You seem angry. You know, what's what's going on? How can I help? And then, you know, if you, if they tell you something that you feel like an adult needs to know, go to your trusted adults and have them help you figure out how to help your friend. Um, that was good. That was good because a lot of times we ignore that gut feeling. There's been many times that we've had that gut feeling and it turned out to be something Something was wrong. You know, I mean, a lot of times I remember as a young person hearing trust your gut. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't know what that meant. Like I didn't know what came after trusting your gut. Like, you know, if I, if I felt like something was really scary or really bad and I needed to get out of there, I would get out of there. But then 
I, you know, we, we, we hadn't at that point been very good at teaching people follow-up. Even if we did teach them trust your gut, we didn't really tell them trust your gut and then do X, Y, Z, you know. So I, mm-hmm. I think that it's really important to um, that's another thing that we introduce in all of the programs is the what-if game because that helps with the trust your gut and then do what. You know, you play, sit down with your kids and you play the what-if game. You say, hey, son, what if you were at the park playing tennis, right? And mm-hmm. um, you were going to walk home with your friend, but then their dad came by and picked them up, but they didn't have room in the car for you and you had to walk home. What would you do? What if, mm-hmm. right? As in with your young people to let the kind of take the temperature of where they're at in their judgments and where they're at in their creative problem solving, which also means where they're at in how much responsibility they can realistically and safely take on themselves. But it also helps you help them rehearse those likely scenarios, right? That something could happen and and they can rehearse that in their head. And so when it happens, they don't have to figure it out in the moment. Mm-hmm. Because very few of us are good in the moment. Almost all of us have that question where we say, you know, somebody says something to us that's maybe a little sassy out in public. And we're just like, oh, oh, well, okay, whatever. All right. And then you walk and you get in the car and you drive three blocks and you go, man, that's what I should have said. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. None of us are, are brilliant in the moment all the time, right? So nice. getting that rehearsal in, playing that what if game kind of helps them, kind of helps prime the pump so that when something happens that's near that scenario, they're ready with maybe two or three or four possible responses that they can sort through rather than having to construct one on the fly. And that, I mm-hmm. think, is... Um, a very important thing. We always want to play that what if game and it doesn't hurt to play it with ourselves either. Um, That's good. Um, Role playing does normally help prepare you to kind of know how to deal with a scenario. And you're right. A lot of times you wish that you would have dealt with it differently and it just helps to give you that extra support and uh, preparation. Do we, um, we do have someone else um, on the line, we actually have, um, is it Ms. Cindy? I don't know if you would like to speak, but I do want to open up the mic oh. in case if you wanted to ask a question or make a comment or you know, join the conversation, you're welcome to just share. Oh, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. It's Yeah, it's really interesting listening because um, I work with kids too, and I, I really appreciate uh what you're doing, what you're talking about. Um, I have kind of a weird question. I feel weird about this question because I just, I, 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 don't, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it. I know there was a woman recently that they said um, she was the missing baby for like 40 years and mm. just figured out, you know, her parents were murdered when she was a baby and you know, sometimes like, okay, so my situation, I don't want to take up too much time, but I was taken from my mom as a baby and told all diff- a lot of different stories um, that weren't true. You know, like I was told she never showed up for court 
and um, one day I did a search with the court, and there was never any court. Um, my mother mm-hmm. was on the census in the 30s as a two-year-old, and her mother had a had a birth certificate, but she didn't. And um, she didn't have a birth certificate. She didn't have a death certificate. She didn't have a work history. So, like, I'm somebody who, um, like I said, I don't want to make it about my stories, but um, I would like to know what happened to her. And I, you know, I I was a a kid that I I wonder, um, you know, if I was missing to her um, because I was taken from her as a baby and I was abused and I was told all these stories and, it really took me a long time to be able to talk about it. And um, her death was reported to Social Security, but I can't, can't, can't get a death certificate. Um, I, I went to the FBI and asked them, um, you know, this I gave my birth certificate and the Social Security number, and I said, can you give me any information? And they got back to me with... Um, that that was third-party information, and I could take them to court if I wanted to, which I thought was really inappropriate. Um, so long story short, I guess I'm wondering, is there ever help for adults who are missing their parents <laughs> or didn't know what happened to their parents, you know? Um, but maybe, and, and I feel bad because I don't know if that's exactly what you do, but, you know, the truth is if you are separated from your parents and put into an abusive situation, um, it can take a long time to be able to talk about trauma. A lot of times kids are not told the real story, and you might be an adult before you can really try to find that parent. Um, it also really bothered me when I read about situations where, you know, like they have these closed adoptions where, you know, kids can't know who their biological parents are. And I just, I don't agree with that. I feel like people have a right to know where they came from. So, I agree. Um, I agree. Yeah. And Thank so you. first of all, um, would you, if you would like to reach out to me, I'll do what I can to connect you with, you know, to find find something, you know, look for oh. help. You look for something. Um, if you're in Minnesota, um, you know, certainly you can call us. Uh, if you're not in Minnesota, I'll try to find someone closer to you that knows the resources in your area. Um, I I can't say that I've done this exactly what you're describing, but I have a friend who a very close friend that I met in college. He, he's actually the guy that um, acted as matchmaker and got my husband and I together. Um, oh, wow. Good 30, friend. <laughs> 30 years ago. Um, and, uh-huh. you know, he found his birth mother through, um, through Ancestry.com, actually. Uh, so there's a number of different ways that, that, you know, people can do those searches. Also, I know that at least in Minnesota, it's possible for you to file um, a paper with the Office of Vital Statistics that basically says, if if a relative is looking for me, yes, let them find me. 
So, you know, if there had been any inquiries, they would be able to release that information. Or, like, let's say your mother had done that, saying, yes, if my daughter ever comes looking for me, yes, give her information about me. Um, it's possible that, you know, if, two, if the both sides of the equation file that paperwork, um, that there would be, there's that possibility. So there's things that we can do to, like, um, help increase the chance that you would be able to find those answers that you're looking for. I'm so sorry, so sorry to hear that you were not only deprived of your mother, um, but then also there was additional abuse um, added on top of that. Um, I wish that it was a um, more rare <laughs> occurrence than it is because it, it, it does happen. It does happen. You're not the only person. You're not alone. Uh, there are others. Um, and we, uh, I recently, uh, we recently had a board member retire uh, for off the board, and he had been taken by his father at age three and kept from his mother. Um, and he was in his 30s by, by the time he was able to find and reconcile with his mother. Um, so it's, not an unheard of story. It's not an impossible uh, journey to find her. Um, it is. It can be very dependent on chance to do what we can. Uh, if if you would like to contact me, uh, Missing Children's Minnesota number is six one two three three four. Nine four four nine, and I can repeat that if you'd like. Six one two three three four nine four four nine. Yep. Well, you, you're so very kind. Felt, I really appreciate your words. Yeah. We'll, we'll do what we can to help. I can't promise anything. It sounds like you've done a lot already. Um, so I don't know what I can do to help. Great, you. because um, you know, sharing is caring, you guys, and this is what it's all about here on Access, really sharing resources. And a lot of times, even if we may not specifically handle that specific area, we may know people who have other connections that can help. And so that's so important. There's no question that's too silly or that you should feel uncomfortable asking because you just never know, you know. And so this is already a realm. You're around people who, who really focus on finding missing children you know, a lot of children have been adopted and they've been kidnapped. And so there's probably connections to other people that can help find parents of. You never know. So, you know, we wish you the best of luck and we hope that, um, you know, don't give up on your search. Keep, keep looking. Have you ever done, like, DNA testing? See, I didn't want to do it because I thought it was, like, personal. <laughs> um I don't know, like, going to give you, like, a very general type of answer, like, just like, oh, you might be from this part of the world. It looks like you might, you know, like, I, I didn't think it would be real specific unless she had put mm -hmm. her, um, yeah, yeah. Well, one of my cousins they, did it recently, and he found family members um, because they connect you to family members, like people that have really, really, really close DNA who have done it. Because um, sometimes people are missing their children or missing a loved one, and they do it and hope that 
at some point when they do it, they get an alert. So it alerts you when somebody has like the family DNA. Um, and so uh, one of my cousins, he recently did it and just connected with some cousins and family members. So just just something to think about, you know. And that's yeah. how my that's how my dear friend found his birth mother actually, and she was forced she was forced by her family to give him up. She wanted to keep him, and um, she um, was forced by her family to give him up, and she did not have any choice. Uh, but he was able to. He took the Ancestry.com DNA, and then he was matched with a cousin, like a second cousin. So he contacted that second cousin, and he told her what he knew of, you know, from his birth certificate and whatnot. And she said, yeah, I know exactly who that is. That's my aunt. She doesn't have anything to do with the family, and neither do I, so I don't know where she's at, but I'll find her for you. And sure sure enough, she tracked, tracked her his mom down and put them in contact with each other. And uh, now they do video calls um, every week, every week. So that's amazing. So yeah, Yeah. it it is possible and can be the, you know, the prices I think of those kits are around a hundred dollars, especially around the holidays here. They usually do like a $99 special. Um, Mm -hmm. So they are, uh, they're not cheap, but they are within reach for a lot of people anyway. Um, and there might there might be some way that um, you can get help with that too. We'll we'll look into that. If you if you give me a call, we'll just see what we can do. Brainstorm. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you, Is my mic open still? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Teresa, I wanted to um, ask you. I know we've talked, but um, you had said um, we tell uh, kids to talk to their uh, trusted adult, and uh, we talked about um, like for some kids, um, you know, like the parent is just not the trusted adult. And I know you had mentioned that that um, I think I could be wrong, but you said something like um, you identify like different adults that could be trusted adults because, like, I was told don't talk to strangers, and as far as I was told the cops were strangers, the, you know, teachers were strangers, you know, don't tell outside secrets what's going on in the house. So um, I know we had talked about that. Maybe you could mention. Trusted adults. Oh, you mm-hmm. Right. And, and it is more of a spiral. You know, you hear about people talking about the circle of trust, and I view it more as a spiral of trust, right? There's different conditions where, you know, we try to say, like, if, if you're trying to get away from somebody who's not listening to you when you say no, right, and you're and your tummy, you get that uh-oh feeling in your tummy, you're like, I have to get out of here to be safe, and you run, we want you to run to where there are people. We don't care what kind of people they are. We just want you to run to where there are people. We don't want you to run and hide in a lonely place. Um, we want you to go to where there are people. At that point, all of those people are safer than whoever this jerk is that's not listening to you when you say no, not listening to boundaries, touching inappropriately, whatever he's doing that makes you feel like you have to flee and get away. We want you to yell in a loud voice, help. Um, This is not my dad. Uh, I'm not, this person's trying to take me. I don't know this person. Whatever, you know, 
Help is the most effective, but maybe you get tired of yelling help. You want to yell something else. Um, but, yeah, just yell. Run to where there are people. Um, so who would be a trusted adult? Um, first of all, in your life, the people in your life, what are the signs of a trusted adult? An adult listens to you. A trusted adult listens to you. A trusted adult, when you're in trouble, a trusted adult focuses on solutions, not on how you got into this problem in the first place and what your failings are and how could you be so dumb and blah, 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 blah. A trusted adult is solution-oriented. A trusted adult is someone who takes whatever situation you're in and makes it better, not worse. Maybe they can't solve it for you, but they make it better. They don't make it worse. Um, A trusted adult responds in a supportive and loving way, not in a angry and blaming way. Okay. So then there are situations where society has decided that this person can be trusted and their job is to be trusted, such as police officers, firefighters, um, you know, people in authority. And, you know, so if you are in the store and you get separated from your mom and dad, it's a fair bet that you can trust the security guard at least enough to go to them and tell them the problem, right? Um, I wouldn't turn off. I wouldn't turn off your little oh detector in your tummy with with anyone. But you know, you probably have a fairly good bet. Uh, sometimes, if you're in a store, you get separated or you need help from someone, and you don't have one of your adults that you trust around, you can go to the person who's at the um, cash register. Because the person who's at the cash register, they can't leave. They Mm. can't take you and run because they signed into that Mm -hmm. cash register and they're responsible for it. Also, Mm -hmm. in any business, even if if they only have one working camera, you know where it's going to be pointed? It's going to be pointed at the cash register. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, then you have the – so we, you know, we kind of try to go through those problem-solving strategies where – it's not black and white, right? It's not, this person can be absolutely trusted. This person can't be trusted. Um, We try to teach you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, you you can't tell by looking at somebody whether they're a safe person or an unsafe person. So how do we tell? We tell by their behavior, right? How do they act? When, When you say no, do they stop doing what they're doing? If you say, no, please don't play with my ponytails. I don't like that. Please don't touch my hair. Please don't touch. Please don't rub my back. I don't like that. Do they stop? Do they respect that? Do they treat you with respect? Do they treat you uh, like you deserve to be treated? Um, Do they listen to you? Do they respond appropriately? Um, That's their behavior. You listen to their behavior to find out who a trusted adult is. And, yes, it is okay for kids to evaluate adults and decide which ones they can trust and which ones they can't 
And when you've decided that someone's a trusted adult, it's a good idea to discuss your other trusted adults with them. Say, hey, this person is one of my trusted adults. What do you think about that? Um, Right. I I remember talking to my kids about, I say, no, hey, we haven't talked about your trusted adults for a while. Who are you, you know, who are you thinking? Who are your trusted adults? And they named uh, someone who was a colleague of mine um, at the time. I was uh, in a writer's group, and this person was in my writer's group, and they had encountered him, and he's very friendly and very nice, and he liked kids. Um, and they said, "Yo, he, he's he he would be a trusted adult." And I said, "Cause he's nice and friendly." And they and I said, "Yes." And I said, "You know, I trust his intentions, but I don't trust his judgment." Mm-hmm. And so we got that conversation where somebody might not mean to hurt you, no, or they might not be able to or have the capacity to know what is appropriate with kids and what, and, and what isn't. Um, this was a, a guy who had had a horrible upbringing. He had been horribly abused. He had uh, PTSD. He had um, fetal alcohol syndrome. He had developmental delays. He had uh, some very different ideas about, you know, and I knew from talking to him, he'd say, well, you know, I mean, if once a kid turns 12, you can pretty much just give them a beer. Mm-hmm. Um, his idea of what was safe and what wasn't, um, you know, he, he started carrying firearms like, you know, I did. He was a country boy like I was a country girl. Um, he started carrying firearms at age eight, as I did when I was growing up, and he thought that was completely appropriate in this day and age. It, so he just his whole like framework of what was appropriate for children was not there. I'd say, you know what, he would never hurt you on purpose. I believe that, but he might hurt you accidentally <laughs> because he just doesn't know what's okay for kids and what's not okay for kids. And he's never he's never taken the time to learn. He's just assumed that, that he's right about what's right for kids. Because there was nothing in his history that said he couldn't learn. He just did he just didn't. He just hadn't. And I was like, No, I don't think I would leave you alone with him. Um, or and that's important. It's important it's important to teach your children who what a what a trusted adult looks like. And so, I mean, that's something that a lot of times people don't think about. But I think that's a very, very important thing to do is to educate your children on who is a trusted adult. If you're in an emergency situation, who you should run to for immediate, like cashier. I mean, you wouldn't think to tell a child that, but, yeah, that person is assigned to the register. They're signed in. They have a, they have a certain number. They're, you know, they're on the schedule. They're probably underneath the camera, you know, and so that's a trusted adult. Right. They may have had a background check. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like what you said, too, about um, updating things, you know, because things change. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's really important. And that the age level of kids, you know, like they're what they can comprehend and stuff changes as well. You know, um, I did want to say, too, that my daughter was like four years old and we were over at my, my grandparents' house who raised me. And my grandfather just patted my daughter on the butt, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a sexual thing or anything. It was just something that he did. 
And my daughter turned around, put her hand on her, her waist and said, Grandpa, don't touch me there. That's my private part. And I tell you why, he looked at me mm-hmm. and I tell you, there were light bolts coming out of his eyes. <laughs> and I turned to him and I says, you know what? I wish somebody would have told me that I could say that at that age, you know. And I told my daughter, I said, it's time to go. And so we got our coats on and got in the car and I said, I'm really proud of you for saying that. You know, I don't, I don't think Grandpa did it in a bad way, but you have a right, you know, like you were talking about, to say no if something makes you feel uncomfortable. And, and we just left, you know, and the next time we came back, it never happened again, you know. And, uh, but, but my daughter knew that I was going to stand up for her. We did this book on, uh, the, way back, you no, know, my daughter was born in 82, but there was this book about bunnies and bathing suits. So when you mentioned the baby suit, bathing suits, it made me think of that book um, about the bunnies. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Well, that sounds like. And then the other thing uh, was, we learned stranger danger. That creepy old man mm-hmm. looking behind. I can still remember that pamphlet thing we got with the creepy old man looking behind out behind the bushes. You know, and and my neighbor wasn't a creepy old man. We went and picked strawberries in his yard and played games in his house. I was six or seven years old, and then I think back. You know. What did my grandparents think was going on over there? They never asked us what was going on. You know, they knew we were going over there. Never said, you know, hey, what do you do when you go over there? And the guy was touching the neighbor kids. He raped a three- and four-year-old neighbor kid. The cop went around the neighborhood asking kids if they'd been touched by that guy. You know? Mm-hmm. And, and my grandma said, tell the police officer when he came to our door. Um, you know, what, if something happened and she just looked at me really just worried and scared and everything all in one, you know, look and and I said yeah he did and nothing was said and then one day they said we're going to court um and you have to talk to the judge and you gotta tell them the truth and I I don't know it just came out of the blue and my grandparents were mad that those those people had brought charges against them and then moved well they live right next door to this guy I had the guy to move to you know because the guy was still out and yeah and so anyway um I had to go into the judge's chambers, just me and the judge, and I tried to say, you know, because nobody gave me the right words, I said, you know, I put his hand in my pants and touched my pee-pee, and the judge says, I don't understand, show me. And, and you know, I did because obviously he didn't understand, you know, what I thought as a kid, and, and I didn't think to tell my grandparents that that made me feel uncomfortable. You know, I mean, he was a judge mm. and the authority and all that, you know, and I never did tell him. And, you know, um, of course, I don't even think that they would have a kid go privately and, you know, but but it was different back then, you know. We're talking, I was born yeah. in, uh, you know, 62, so, you know, that was like 68 maybe. But but a lot has changed, but, but there's a lot that hasn't too. But, like, you know, I was being abused by my family, and it wasn't the creepy old man behind the bushes. <laughs> like, that neighbor guy was no. really nice and had strawberries in his yard and, we played games in his, on his front porch, you know, and then one time he asked me, he said, do you tell, well, they, I thought it was my mom because, you know, they lied to me and said they were my parents. I didn't know no different. And um, he said, do you tell your mom what goes on over here? And I lied and said, yeah. And then he stopped touching me. Well, my grandma told me, if you lie, you go to hell. And, and the guy stopped touching me. And it was almost like I didn't even care I was going to hell. That guy stopped touching me. But I felt so bad that I had lied. Mm. That was just yeah. yeah. I am so sorry. 
That's uh, and you know we had back and we had it was almost like we had no guidance back in the day. Parents had no roadmap. Young people had no roadmap, and the stranger danger roadmap was just the wrong direction completely. Um, right. And not helpful. But we've so far, we have a long way to go, but I, I'm very hopeful with, you know, all of the learning that we're, that we do and all of the resources directed to, mm-hmm. you know, trying to do not, not just the prevention, but to make the process of coming forward and the process of, of being supported, especially as a child uh, who has no words, like you said, you have no words for it. You don't yeah. have any way of putting it into uh, any kind of make any sense out of it. Um, and I think we've come a long way with, you know, with corner house and with, you know, the people who specialize in forensic interview interviews of children and, you know, making children, uh, you know, putting children in environments where they feel safe, um, where they feel supported, where, um, the the focus is on what do they need in the moment and the information will come. Uh, yeah. I think, that, you know, the farther we can go down that road, the more likely we will be to eventually crack this code to, you know, break yeah. through and, you know, because, of course, disclosure leads to enforcement enforcement leads to getting that person out of circulation where they can no longer hurt people that leads to fewer victims from each perpetrator that leads to you know we're just building we're building these building blocks because everything Mm -hmm. in this field touches on everything else you know um with the missing child field it touches on child abuse domestic violence, um, housing instability. I I had a number of, I've had a number of kids who told me they ran because they got tired of going to new schools because they kept getting kicked off their leases, right? Mm. They had to find a new place to live and they had to move to wherever they could find a place to live. And so they were running away from home, survival sex, trafficking, um, just you know, just all all sorts of different things that they were exposed to because of the housing instability that they were suffering. So the missing person, missing child um, field stands at the intersection of pretty much every ill of our society. It's right. complicated, and every time we can move the ball forward, it's like each brick that we put on is going to support all the bricks that we put above it. So you're not just putting one brick on. You're not just dealing, like if you, if we have a victory with domestic violence, yeah, we're not just getting the victory for domestic violence. That's a victory for all of the things that touch it. And Mm -hmm. we're building it. We're building that, we're building that wall of safety with everything that we do. Whatever. So I, I have a gra- I have a grandchild that's 12 years old that goes to school out here in Minnesota. So um, would would uh, I say contact you and you contact the school, or would I contact the school if I would want you to go in there, 
or or how you know and and how can people contact you um i know that we probably have if they go on um nasca.org they can go in and click on your link um to find you just so people know that too um all our speakers are you know posted every week that that we put a link hyperlink or whatever you call it they can click on their name and contact them and uh but um you know um so do you usually just you know kind of pick schools or do people call you and say hey come to my school i got you know a kid here that could really use us and i know that you also have books available too for for parents and kids as well right yeah we do have books based on our programs and so we yeah we rely on host organizations to bring us in um and and have mm-hmm. us come so a lot of times it's you know, with the preschool, the with the Run, Yell, Tell Puppet Show, it's like preschool through second grade. So a lot of times it'll be like daycares or um, YMCAs or um, family, early family education programs, ECFE programs will have us in. And they need that, that program should call us. Um, a lot of times with the schools, the entry is through the PTO. So, you know, a lot of times the PTO president will call and say, hey, yeah, we'd like you to come. And, you know, maybe I'll do uh, like the run, yell, tell for the littles. And then I'll do the um, I want to be safer for the middle grades. And uh, we also have the for 12 and up, we have Erica's Choices, which is based on a real case that we really worked of a young girl who ran away from a group home in northern Minnesota and was murdered. Um, and it talks about how Erica didn't deserve to die because she made choices that led to her death, but that's what happened. And we would like um, young people to learn to make the safest choice, to give them the power to make the safest choices. And so we go through uh, various types of decision-making skills, and we go over that with them. So you know, we can, we can do that and then we can do the parent program. So basically they can pick and choose from that. Maybe it's a grade school and it's the grade school PTO and they just want the, I want to, they, maybe they just want the um, run, yell, tell and the parent program, right? So um, you do the run, yell, tell, and then the kids go back to their parents and then we do the parent program. Um, sometimes uh, safety camps, a lot of times the police departments, fire departments, um, in a town will or a community will do a safety camp, and we get a lot of calls for that. So if your local community does a safety camp and you would like us to come out and do I Want to Be Safer for the safety camp kids, um, that's usually the age group. It's usually the third through sixth graders. I'm more than happy to come out and do, and do that with them. Um, Boy Scout pr- troops, Girl Scout troops, we've had people come and have us do birthday parties, do the puppet show for birthday parties, um, church youth groups, Sunday school groups, um, civic groups like the optimists or the lions or, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah, any host organization that would like to have us come, uh, we are happy to, happy to come. We ask for a hundred dollars and round trip mileage, but we will do it for free if there's no funding. So uh, over half programs are delivered for free. So that's that your question. Um, yeah, yeah. 
And one other thing thing I want to talk to you about is, um, you know, there's a lot of talk on social media about um, children uh, going into foster care and and, uh, being turned out into prostitution. I wanted to get your input on that. I have to admit that I don't have a lot of direct experience with uh, the foster care system. Most of the um, young people that I have helped support the search for that are in foster care, um, I have been brought into it by the family of origin uh, who still retain custodial rights. They just, you know, um, don't have, they don't have, the kids aren't living with them right then, but they still have custodial rights. Like temporary, yeah. uh, Things that I do know about the the situation is that, you know, traffickers know their they know their um, prospective victims, right? They they have studied this, and yeah. so they say who, you know, they're looking for a young person who wants to be loved. They're looking for a young person who has not been taken care of. They're looking mm-hmm. for a young person with trauma. They're looking for a young mm-hmm. person who doesn't like where they're at. Um, they, you know, whatever that hook is, they, they look at somebody who's in foster care and for, you know, whether they're right or not, they, they feel like if they go to a child in foster care, they're going to be able to find something to hook into to get that. Um, and, you know, I mean, part of it is that they're vulnerable just because of that stereotype of kids in foster care. Um, so that stereotype of kids in foster care, that they are vulnerable, that they are unloved, that they do lack uh, oversight, that they do lack attention, makes them more vulnerable because they become a target. Um, so, you know, of course, not all kids who are in foster care fall under that, but um, they're going to be more vulnerable just because that's the assumption that the trafficker would make. Um, the other thing is that um, if you're in foster care and you move from foster family to foster family fairly rapidly, um, or there's mm-hmm. a lot of back and forth, it can disrupt your connections to community, your connections to friends, uh, your connections obviously to family. Um, you know, uh, I was once told by a colleague who was working in the, the foster care system. Any every child in foster care is traumatized, traumatized in their family of origin, or traumatized simply by being taken into foster care. They're traumatized, hundred um, percent. They have been through some trauma, and so you know that I guess that is the main thing that I would say I know about it is that it does put young people in more danger to be in foster care simply because um, we know that adverse childhood experiences make people more at risk uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of different things, um, for a lot of different things, not not only trafficking, not trafficking alone, but um, other, you know, health choices, uh, smoking, mm-hmm. alcohol, um, substance use, uh, you know, relationship so do you have, problems. Do you have, uh, do you have the education on uh-huh. your uh, 
website for um, parents, teachers, uh, community members to to look at um, to decide whether yes. there's the program or just information you've been talking about um, that they could get from the website. And 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 really quickly, Ms. Teresa. Sorry to interrupt. We have two minutes left or one minute left of the show. So if you can give a contact information with that answer, that would be great. Oh, we have a yes, of left. course. What would you like to leave so for the have, audience? Uh-huh. Right. So we have uh, very um, general information on our website about how to get more information. Generally, mm-hmm. we don't put, we don't have a lot of detailed stuff out there, but um definitely if they contact us if they email us or whatever we can we can definitely get them that information uh, my our office number phone number is 612-334-9449 my email is teresa t-e-r-e-s-a dot lutka l-h-o-t-k-a at missingchildrenmn.com that's missingchildrenmn.com all one word no underlines or spaces or anything and um and our facebook page is missing children minnesota our twitter is missing child mn and i believe we have an instagram and a Mastodon account as well. So we're we're there out there on the socials. You can find us there as well. And your website is? Thank you. Oh, and our website, sorry, is uh, www.missingchildrenmn.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Teresa. We really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Ms. Victoria, for making sure that we had a wonderful guest tonight and, and uh, for joining us as well, being part of the show. And thank you, Ms. Kim. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Thank okay. you so much, Tree. Good night. Thank you. Thank everyone. you for having me. Bye.